Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome in. This is the Deep Dive episode, our Thursday show. It's with me, Ian, and Ryan. Ian, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Looking forward to the Super Bowl this weekend, so see how that goes. But you guys got any picks? Oh, uh, no. TB12. Yeah, I kind of want to dollars down on that. Yeah. <laughs> Once, well, sports betting is becoming legalized in Washington soon which will probably be bad for my personal investments because I'll be funneling the money into there. But I don't know. I kind of want to see Tom Brady dominate. But again, it's a little tiring. It's been two decades of him. You know, it's kind of like Amazon or Microsoft or something. You're like, let's get some new, you know, some new stuff in there. Oh, and as we're talking about that, the the GOAT is retiring. He is, yeah. Down, just, Bezos. This is, yeah, 10 minutes after uh, Bezos stepped down. So we're all in shock, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what he, he's going to become the CEO of GameStop. Um, yeah, but yeah, we're going to be talking Isaiah today, an interesting company that a lot of people probably haven't heard of. This is Ian's pick for the week. So he's going to be our expert. If we have any corrections or anything, you know, he'll be our expert for the day. But before we get started, we have to talk about seven investing. Oh, so okay. Ryan, is it your turn? Sure. Yeah. It's uh, you get $10 off your first month. So it's like seven bucks, I think, mm-hmm. um, which is we should do the math on that one of these times. I think it's a 66% discount all because of us. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, you just use our code CCM and you get to see all of seven investings picks. Um, and there are some fresh picks out uh, yeah. as of what, two days ago, two days ago. Yeah. Or three from the time that we're, uh, you're going to be seeing this. And, and I did, I did one of them. I will say is they've done it twice now. So uh, I hope that's not spoiler. disclosing too much. Yeah, yeah. Well, One we got plenty of them out there, so you're not giving it away. But yeah, I mean, there's a, there's something in there for everyone. People should check it out. I mean, it's a great service. But now on to Isaiah. So Ryan, mm-hmm. why don't you introduce the company? Yeah, so the company's actual name is Isaiah Worldwide, which is already a red flag. Um, worldwide, worldwide. <laughs> you got to get rid of that. Um, but anyway, they uh, create and operate online marketplaces that connect marketers, so brands, agencies, publishers with content creators, basically either bloggers, tweeters, any form of influencer you can find. Um, and so it kind of seems like Isia is a demand side platform or an ad exchange between uh, marketers and influencers. Uh, but there's diff- there's pretty much three ways they do this, which is the managed services. And I'll let Ian get into this a little more. So there's the managed services, the uh, software as a service model, and then they're launching something new called Shake, which we'll talk about later, which is sort of their uh, marketplace Fiverr-like competitor. Um, and if you're thinking like who on earth would advertise, because it sounds a little shady at first, like you're just plugging people with influencers, but there are real advertisers like uh, Whole Foods, Target, Levi's, I think Google, uh, there are like a lot of reputable uh, actual advertisers. So it feels like they have a good kind of interesting business model. I'm missing anything there, Ian. 
No, that was a pretty good summary of it. Like I said, I think it's some of the aspects kind of look like um, a DSP, but it's really more of an ad exchange. They kind of service both sides of it, both the supply and the demand side. Right. So it's more of a marketplace and it's not something that's totally automated like a DSP. Something like right. that. Or am I getting wrong? Okay. And right now, sense. I believe the bulk of the revenue is still coming from managed services, which is still like that is marketers coming to them and saying, use your expertise and plug our new campaign with or some sort of uh, marketing with whoever you think would be best fit. Right. And then that's sort of Isaiah's role. Yep. They get a budget and they say, go give us the best return on our investment that you can. Typically in those managed services, they have um, what they consider their higher profile influencers, people that they have relationships with. Whereas if you're using their software or if you're using like their new platform shake, it won't necessarily be um, people that everybody recognizes. There'll be a little bit more of niche people um, and kind of lower profile people um, that you're accessing on your own, whereas the managed services might get you some higher profile um, influencers. Okay. Uh, and then as far as history goes, they were originally founded in Nevada in 2006 under the name Paper Post, uh, and they went public in 2011. Over the last five years, they've had a number of acquisitions and mergers. They bought Line, I think I'm saying that right, in 2015, which is a similar business model with a focus on editorial content. And then they bought Zen Content in 2016 which is more of a platform for custom content. And then I think they merged with Tap Influence in 2018, which had like a SaaS solution that was similar to Isaiah's. Um, it looks like all three of these have been successfully integrated. None of them are like standing alone and like uh, they are all now a part of Isaiah's business. Um, and the company is headquartered near Orlando, Florida. It was originally founded by Ted Murphy and Ted is still the acting CEO and chairman. Am I missing anything there? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, the IPO was kind of a broken one though, oh. right? If you look at the chart, um, does that, I kind of doesn't really matter to me, uh, but does that concern you guys at all for like this company was kind of like some forgotten it's turned into a minor cap um, when it used to be kind of a mid cap or a small cap? It, it, it has had like what, eight, uh, like seven or eight years of non-existence almost, right? Yeah, it's, it's not done much since it went public. Um, and I think that that's like, it would concern me more if this was a recent IPO and it had just fallen off a cliff. Um, but since it was, you know, nine, 10 years ago, uh, it's not as concerning just because, you know, that, that price drop has been kind of gotten washed away in the years. Um, but that is definitely one of the concerns here is that it IPO'd, you know, t almost 10 years ago now. And it's, uh, you know, hasn't done much in that, in its history. Right. Okay. I'll hit the broader industry and competition. We all can guess that the industry is growing quickly. There's an estimated $8 billion spent on Instagram influencer marketing in 2020. I don't know about the broader social media numbers, but that's kind of a big representation. That's definitely the number one platform. Um, estimates are for rapid growth, but from what I was looking at, you know how there's typically like industry estimates for 2025, and usually it's kind of hovering around the same number. But for this one, it was a huge range, some 15 billion, some like $10 billion over the next you know, in like three years, some upwards of 25 billion, if you're really optimistic. Uh, so it's tough to pin down a number. And I guess really investors kind of need to know, all right, well, this is a fast growing market. There's going to be a big tailwind behind them. Uh, Sprout Social looks to be like a big competitor. There's a lot of smaller competitors out there, but Sprout Social isn't exactly a competitor. They're kind of adjacent where they're working with uh, 
a company, say, for example, like you mentioned before, I bet one of those companies like, what was it, Levi's, they run a ton of social accounts. They use Sprout Social to help increase the efficiency of what they're running on their own accounts. Um, And I'm not sure if they have an influencer integration with that, but they could probably adopt that. And if they're not, I don't know, partners, it seems like they they will start competing with Isaiah if they get traction at some point. But I don't know if there's any other competitors. You could argue maybe something like Clubhouse Media Group, which is the people that try to run those influencer TikTok houses, could be a competitor, but they're tiny and they're really kind of a concept spack play. Um, Ian, are there any competitors? Ryan, are you thinking of any? I, I They did label uh, Facebook and Instagram and that kind of thing as indirect competitors. Ah, and okay. I mean, it's it seems like there is the potential for like a first mover disadvantage in Isaiah's case where they start to build out this fantastic platform and Facebook can easily, I imagine they can do something very similar and they have, the thing is the data and the algorithms aren't that useful because all you need to do is see who is someone's audience. That's it. And so maybe Facebook doesn't have necessarily an edge there. I guess their only edge is basically unlimited capital, right? Yeah. Ian, what do you think? And the wide network and Facebook has a wide network already where they have, you know, a lot of influencers and people who would want to purchase things, you know, purchase advertising from influencers. So um, that is definitely a risk. Um, And I think, you know, there's also things like Fiverr or Upwork where people can do kind of some of this type of similar stuff through those platforms, but it's not necessarily made um, for influencer marketing. And so I'll get into that a little bit later, but there's, there's some reasons why having a specialized platform is an advantage for them. Um, but yeah, I think those are the main competitors and really anywhere that you're going to have this big advertising spend, this is, it's competing for advertising dollars. And so they both have to prove that influencer marketing is something that you should be doing and we're the place that you should be doing it. And DMS, uh, like, I know that sounds like a joke, but a lot of smaller startups, if they want one specific influencer to advertise their product, will just DM them and be like, hey, we'll Venmo you or we'll cash app you this much if you right. post or something like that. And it's sort of under the table stuff uh, that obviously doesn't scale that well. But uh, Right. That's how it's traditionally been done. And they're trying to kind of say, we're going to add a little bit more structure to this process and it's going to benefit both sides of the transaction because we do. Um, but that's what you're competing against is, is making sure that you have to be something that's, you know, oftentimes in the startup community, they say has to be 10 times better than the existing solution. And so this has to be 10 times better than someone uh, finding an influencer and DMing them and then Venmoing them the money. So, right. Okay. All right. Ian, you're up next with management. What do you got? Yep. So as Ryan mentioned, Ted Murphy is the founder and CEO. Um, he's been active in the space for a lot of years and is kind of considered a pioneer of this um, kind of influencer marketing movement. And like Ryan mentioned, like the company was originally pay per post, which was pretty revolutionary at the time to say, we're actually going to pay people to post about our, um, you know, our product or our service or write a review about it or things like that. He's kind of an interesting guy. He's an interesting follow on Twitter. You can find him on Twitter. He's verified. Um, he has a lot of interests. He builds a lot of things in his free time. Like he built this uh, light contraption. I was just watching this video of the other day. That's kind of interesting. Um, he like the company went through this cryptocurrency phase for like a year, which was a little bit of a red flag. Um, and so there's a little bit of a question. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so there's a little bit of a question of like, okay, he seems to be kind of a Renaissance man and have all these interests and be like a very creative entrepreneur. Um, but I think there's, I think there's some worthwhile questions to be asked about whether he's also unfocused and if that, um, kind of getting pulled in all these different directions by all these creative interests, um, is detrimental to the business, right? It's a fine line between being innovative and cre a creative genius and being unfocused, but that's something that, um, have to analyze a little bit. I, I don't know that I have a strong grasp on where he is on that, on that line, but, um, I tend to think I tend to side on the more optimistic side, but there's definitely a case to be made that he's been unfocused. He owns about a 1% of the shares outstanding. Um, and that's been growing recently, mostly due to stock-based compensation. Uh, the other main management uh, guy in management is Ryan Schramm, who is the COO and was recently just this month uh, or in January was appointed president. I assume maybe that means that he's going to become more of the front facing person. Um, we'll see like in their next earnings call, but, uh, that's something to watch. He's been with the company since 2011. So quite a while. Um, and he owns about, uh, 0.25% of shares outstanding, but that's also been growing a lot. He's been receiving a lot of the same stock based compensation that Ted Murphy has in total about 6% of shares outstanding are owned by insiders. So not a huge percentage. Um, but you know, respectable, uh, less than 5% is owned by institutional investors. And so that's kind of fairly natural in a small cap space like this and provides some level of um, potential price appreciation, not necessarily based on fundamentals um, as institutions. If this were, if the market cap were to continue to grow to a point where institutions would feel comfortable investing, um, I would expect that percentage to go away up and the stock would probably also see some more price appreci appreciation. Um one last note I'll make about uh, management and ownership. Murphy actually bought some additional shares recently, which generally we look at as a bullish sign, right? The, the old audit adage about, you know, many reasons to sell, but only one reason to buy. Yeah. Um, I'll caveat that by saying it was only about uh, $3,700 worth of stock. <laughs> so like not a huge, um, like I was surprised to even see it, but uh, anyways, it may be a slight bullish sign there, but. All right. Well, I'll, I'll hit valuation. I'll keep it quick here since this is kind of a, um, it's a growth stock. It's not something that you're basing it on the current fundamentals. Um, it's more about what they're going to be doing in the next few years. Market cap right now is about $241 million, ticker IZEA, the same name as the company. Uh, last 12 month EV to sales, I think are 12. I was getting conflicting numbers from all the different sites, but I tried to go with their um, fully diluted shares outstanding you know, getting the enterprise value from that and then looking at the actual earnings report. So I think 12 is the number uh, versus the stock price, which was around five bucks at the time. No dividend, as you probably expect. Shares outstanding are increasing. That's how they raise money. Uh, so they actually have fortified their balance sheet. They have about $30 million in cash right now. And that is from some share dilution from a common stock raised. And they are also unprofitable and not cash flow positive. So they will be earning multiple, you know, money for the time here. And you can't really value them on that multiple, but, you know, sales multiple looks, it looks okay. You know, that's kind of the one thing you're looking after right now. And then you're looking at earnings growth and revenue growth. Yeah. And for a company this size, growth is going to be lumpy. You know, uh, you look at it. And so I'll, I'll get into the earnings numbers. The, this is for the first nine months of 2020 
Revenue was about $12 million for the first nine months, down 9% year over year. And of that, 85% was from managed services, 15% is from SaaS. Now, that looks like a bad headline number, but if Shake were super successful, it could triple revenue. Yeah. So there is a, there's, that's why you're going to find that lumpy growth. So I, I think if you are a shareholder at this point, it's probably because you believe in uh, the opportunity ahead of them. Uh, they had nine million in operating losses for the first nine months, uh, and that's like a negative eighty or ninety percent operating margin. But if you exclude some of the impairments to goodwill that they had, uh, it's about negative forty percent operating margins. Once again, a lot of that uh, they expect to be losing money right now. That's why they're raising so much money. Uh, average common shares outstanding increased 41% year over year. And they almost, they have about 31 billion in cash and cash equivalents right now. I like, million, 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 sorry. Uh, I like that they uh, have chosen to raise at the current price because the stocks have done well, right? Yeah, yeah, it has. It's There's been a lot of appreciation in the last six months. Okay. And uh, I mean, I guess that's a good thing because, you know, you first you see the headline dilution numbers and it's concerning, but that makes it a more likely chance of success if they're able to raise at less dilution. And I mean, if they were going to raise anyways, at least yeah. they're doing it at a higher price. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I didn't really find anything else. Sales and marketing makes up like 50% of revenue. Uh, obviously, they're they're losing a lot of money. Just an EBITDA negative, net negative. Um, so you're really just analyzing the opportunity here. The earnings weren't... Uh, super flattering for them. Uh, and they also had a huge uh, knock because of COVID and they claimed that the macro environment is pretty bad. Uh, but we're not necessarily seeing the same numbers out of Facebook or Google and their ad business. So I'm wondering if it's sort of independent towards them or if maybe something's actually wrong with the underlying business and they're using that as a cop-out. I don't think they are, but um yeah, so not not an impressive last nine months, but uh, yeah, who's who's next? Ian, you got balance sheet? Yeah, I've got balance sheet. So to kind of dive a little further into what you were talking about just a minute ago, they, they do have about $30 million in cash. Um, you do want to watch dilution because, you know, since 2018, they've quadrupled share count. Um, I think part of that was due to the uh, one or two of the acquisitions they made as well. But the you know, they are diluting shares quite a bit. So the encouraging thing though, is that the cash balance is up to 30 million from 2 million at the end of 2018. And so it's not like they've quadrupled share count and they've, you know, burned all the cash. They've actually grown their cash balance. They have um, the ability to um, use some of that cash likely. They've also proposed um, doing another equity offering uh, with up to about $35 million dollars which they say that use towards growth. I don't know how likely it is that they'll do that given the cash on the balance sheet, but that's something um, to keep an eye out for over the next couple of weeks and month. We'll, we'll just put it uh, into, uh, we'll just slide into wall street bets and then they'll, you know, <laughs> do a nice share appreciation and then they can raise at a 10 X multiple, but no, that, that was right. a joke. Do not take that as an investment. <laughs> Continuing. <laughs> yeah. And then they've got about $2 million in debt on the balance sheet and this company, it's actually a PPP loan. Um, which I don't love to see because that that shows one of two things typically, either the business was in real trouble or that the business was getting PPP loans that it really didn't need. In this case, I think it was closer to the business being 
in some serious trouble back in March. I think yeah. it, it's low. The share price got down to like seven cents a share. Wow. Um, and, you know, they even, and I'll mention this later, but they even, uh, they shut down their headquarters down there back in March because they're like, we don't have anybody working in the office and it's expensive. And um, I think it was a pretty tough move to make at the time, but it worked out to, to be good. But anyways, they've got this PPP loan, um, probably likely to be forgiven, but even if it's not, they have plenty of cash to pay it back. So not a, not a, um, nothing really concerning on the balance sheet. Looks pretty good. Just keep an eye out for dilution. Okay. Well, we're going to hit the ad break here and then we're going to get back and talk about their future growth opportunities and what we liked and did not like about the business. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? (sighs) All blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. Next up is competitive advantages. Ian, why don't you go first? What do you think, uh, you know, with ICA here? Yep. So I think they actually have a competitive advantage, and I kind of hinted at this earlier, but that they've specialized. Um, you know, Fiverr and Upwork do everything, right? You can you can get any sort of service on Fiverr or Upwork, um, but it's specializing in this niche and there are inherent issues associated with influencer marketing that make it less attractive to do through like something like Fiverr or even something like, uh, you know, a DM and Venmoing people. One is that you get clean verified payments. You don't have to worry about whether someone, you know, is actually getting the payment or you're overpaying or when you pay or whether the service is going to be done. Um, it has that in baked into the platform. And so that helps, um, also authenticity of followers. They say they have algorithms to determine whether someone's hundred thousand followers are actually real or if they have 80,000 fake followers that they've bought. And so that provides another level of assurance, especially to some of these bigger brands that, okay, we're not getting ripped off here by someone who, you know, is charging us some per follower rate and they actually don't have engaged followers who are going to interact with our marketing campaign. Um, and then it also provides, sorry, sorry to interject, but that's good. That might be, no, go for it. Over like Instagram or something where they don't want to tell you who's fake because you know, it's not in their best interest to lower your follower count. But if you're a brand, you're, you're, you're worried about that for sure because some people have 90% of their followers are fake. There's definitely easy ways to tell though. Just you could probably track like average comments per post in relation to followers because that's a, lot a lot of, of followers work. are just like bots. Yeah, but that's a lot of work. Brands don't want to be doing that work on every single influencer. No, and yeah, it yeah, verifies it. You know. Right? Yeah, no, it is, uh, but it's repeatable. Like other people, it's not some special uh, technology to be able to find that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Exactly. There's other, there's like, you know, there's services you can go in online to check out whether people have fake followers now it's kind of centralizing it and bringing it. And so it's really a competitive advantage against other um, services like Fiverr that are broad that won't necessarily have that type of stuff baked into its service. Um, and so it just creates um, a nice place. And then it's also a platform where uh, advertisers can, can, uh, manage the whole process, track results, see return on investment, things like that. So it, it kind of, you know, it just provides some benefits to doing it through here rather than kind of bootstrapping it. Okay. Ryan, what do you got? 
Uh, mine is industry acumen. Uh, so like you said, the brands don't really want to do that stuff themselves. Uh, now, if you were like a startup uh, and let's say you were building like a, your own fitness equipment and you wanted to get it in the hands of as many customers as possible or raise awareness. Yeah, sure. You could go DM some lifter or some athlete and try to do just a, an exchange of goods like that. But if you're a big brand, if you're like a, like target doesn't have people like, Oh, how many followers does that girl have now? Or, you know, they're not tracking that and it's not worth their time or money to do it. So, uh, having sort of the expertise in the industry, uh, I think can be a, an advantage and it just better serves their customer value prop. Okay. I'll hit mine. Uh, I think running a marketplace on the internet gives you that inherent competitive advantage. We've talked about it before with a few companies we've discussed over the last few months, you know, like Fiverr is probably the busy, busy, biggest, excuse me, example here, uh, where, you know, if you aggregate the supply, you aggregate the demand. Um, if all the supply of advertisers go there, then all the influencers are going to go there. And if all the influencers are signed up with Isaiah, then all of the advertisers will as well. I don't want to say flywheel, but that's kind of how people describe it. I'm sure they have it in their investor presentations. Uh, but yeah, does that makes, do they have like a fiber, like, you know, hopeful network effects slash competitive advantage with the marketplace? Yeah, I think that's definitely what they're going for. They're looking to they're looking to aggregate supply and demand to create something that uh, you know, <laughs> I guess has a little bit of that flywheel effect and continues to grow and build and and increase their um even increase their pricing power to some extent because they once they build the network then uh right. and the marketplace then they have more power over the marketplace. Right, and then they can add more functions and hopefully increase prices. Okay, we have future growth opportunities now which will be some more functions that they're adding. Um so Ian, you're up first. Yeah, so I think a future growth opportunity for them is the secular trend towards people with audiences um, monetizing those audiences. Um, one way is through the emergence of new social platforms. So something like TikTok all of a sudden has provided a whole new way where um, people can build an audience and are likely wanting to monetize that audience. And so uh, Isaiah has the ability to, you know, all the, there's all these new TikTok influencers that weren't around a year ago. And uh, Isaiah can hopefully help them monetize their audiences. Um, I think that's going to continue to happen with new social platforms. And you even see um, like a lot of other ways for people to monetize their audiences. You don't have to be a celebrity anymore. You can use Substack, Gumroad, influencer marketing, affiliate links, YouTube. There's all sorts of ways if you have an audience to start making money. And Isaiah, I think, fits nicely within that trend. Um, and we'll, like I said, we'll continue to kind of benefit as new social platforms and new influencers arise, whether it's in, you know, gaming, working out, uh, you know, health, all sorts of stuff. Okay. Ryan, what do you have? Mine is shake. Uh, but to touch on Ian's uh, at first, when I, at first when I read up on Isaiah, I thought it was just like the people that were connecting, you know, when a tweet goes viral and it's like someone that's never had a viral tweet and then like they add to it and they're like by the way buy this i thought that was like isaiah's whole business model do you know what i'm talking about i know what you're talking about but what's the connection uh, i was just saying like uh there's all these new influencers where it's like one tweet wonders and i <laughs> i'm sure someone's sitting in there plugging their product in their dms after every time a tweet goes viral uh, okay. uh but shake is their new marketplace uh, and this is their new way of transacting with influencers 
unlike its current platform where the large enterprise customers uh, get access to Isaiah's private network, this is more public. So uh, any buyers can access it. This is a lot like Fiverr. This is really that marketplace where it's sort of open-ended on both sides and uh, the creators or the influencers can they can create their own self-determined price uh, and then people will pay them for their services. So they opened pre-registration to this this quarter. Uh, I think they have a stream that was like a stream of the demo. I don't think it's totally open yet. Am I getting that right? Is it still in beta? Um, I can't remember now, actually. I thought I saw that it had just opened up. um, Either way, either way, it's either it's, it's just starting right around now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and also I think this is coming at a really good time uh, because if the iOS 14 updates um, are pushing are, are, are really giving small businesses limited visibility or uh, less effectiveness on their ads with like Facebook and stuff, this might be where they migrate towards. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I, I, in general, like people get upset that yeah, Facebook ads work fairly well and they do tout that their effectiveness is so strong. But in reality, I mean, we've tried that with some other part of, I think we were trying to even advertise the show on like Twitter and Twitter sucks, but the it seems like the effectiveness is overrated, but if you get these influence in, in there, it, it might work, it might work better, you know? Or like, I don't know, it does seem like some of it kind of is, you know, fake uh, with, um, you know, Facebook's had that lawsuit where they were pumping up the video views like 10 times, you know, like when you scroll past it, even if you're there for one second, it counts as a view against your advertisement. Yeah. So when you use these influencers, it might work better. Uh, but I'll hit my future growth opportunity next. It's the Isia X Discovery, which is probably one of their main, this is the same thing as the main platform, right, Ian? Yeah, this is their SaaS offering. Yeah. Okay. So it's so it's an existing part of the business. Um, and it's been around for at least a year and probably longer than that. And it costs about 149 bucks a month. So it's the self-service software platform. And over the last 12 months, customers have grown 2.6 times uh, since it was like the last update for earnings was in October. So from October 2019, they grew uh, 2.6 times. So that that's a great number. Revenue hasn't followed suit yet, so they might be trying to do some loss leading or you know customer acquisition, giving people free access. Uh, but if they stay on, that's a, that's a lot of software customers that they're adding, and it looks like it is. You know, it's for advertisers in general. Uh, I, their website was very confusing. They were just using a lot of uh, terms, and the, their video was quite funny. Uh, but they were just kind of throwing out like followers, Twitter, Pinterest, and it was going really rapidly. So I think I understand what it was, uh, but either way, it's growing quickly. All right, highlights and lowlights. Ian, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. I'd say a highlight is Shake, like you just mentioned, Ryan. I think that has some really interesting potential. Um, it's something that's needed, I think, and something I'd probably use if I was starting a business. I'd look to find the influencers that were... Um, that I thought were related to my business. And, and, uh, you know, I think it's another avenue for, uh, people who aren't having success with something like Facebook ads. And I've also heard that these influencer marketing campaigns, um, especially at low dollar levels can be much more effective than something like a Facebook ad because things like that, it really takes, um, a bigger investment generally to reach the scale where that those start becoming as effective as you'd like them to be. So I think that's, 
much needed and really interesting. Um, also, I'll, I'll touch on this. They've had some good recent news. They've said that they just got had a record January, almost as much um, as many bookings in their managed services in January as they had all of uh, Q1 last year. Uh, their managed service bookings also increased 48% in Q4 of 2020. They haven't reported that quarter yet, but they've given out some numbers. And so it looks like they've been making a rapid recovery in the last couple of months. And probably, I don't know, it It, it looks to me like they have a chance to uh, actually grow revenue in 2020, which would be uh, quite the uh, quite the feat given, given COVID. Um, a couple of low lights. Like I said, the business was really hit hard and was kind of, it looks like was kind of on the ropes back in March. Um, like I mentioned, they, they even shut down their headquarters. Um, there's, you know, and then there's uh, <laughs> some questions about maybe they're a little unfocused. They were trying to do like a community Bitcoin mining thing yeah. back in like 2018. Mm, that's a bit, that's and a red flag. Uh, it is a red flag. It's like, okay, you know, what's, what's going on here? And, uh, that doesn't seem to be a part of the business at all anymore, but that just raises some questions about, okay, are you, what are we going to, in this company, are we going to devote resources to the things that ought to have um, resources devoted to them? And so, uh, you know, over the last couple of years that, you know, revenues have declined and it kind of raises some questions about whether they've lost three years when they really could have grown a lot these last three years, they've kind of lost three years and uh, not seen any revenue growth. And so uh, that's definitely a low light for me. Okay. Ryan, what do you have? Yeah, I think there's a very large opportunity. Obviously, uh, if one of the companies, whoever's in the space gets it right, uh, it's a big space to get right. Uh, but also, there's less they're less susceptible to regulatory scrutiny than someone that's collecting data and advertising that way. So we, t- we saw, uh, if you looked at the conference call from Facebook in its most recent quarter, Zuckerberg talked about uh, iOS 14 and how Apple's kind of going after them. And it's all based on users being willing to accept the uh, data collection, I guess is a nice word to put it. Um, and you don't have to do that in order to do this. All you have to do is find people, uh, influencers on social media platforms, or even sub stacks where you think their audience is fitting to your product. Uh, and that's a lot easier. Uh, and I, I just think it has less scrutiny. But low lights, it looks like they did do some discounting stuff uh, to compensate for the less de- for less demand this last year. Um, and yeah, they had trouble because of the pandemic. Murphy even said in the latest quarter, and Ian, I guess you said they've rebounded since. He said, we expect to see challenges with enterprise SaaS until such time that the micro or the macro environment stabilizes and marketers feel, marketers feel more comfortable in making long-term commitments. It sounds like they might have seen that, um, but yeah, the I guess the biggest low light for me is probably the focus part, and I would I actually wouldn't mind if maybe Murphy came into like a chairman role or left the day to day operations to someone else. Uh, I, I did watch an interview with him, and he seemed like a competent guy, but some of his past stuff just brings up red flags. Yeah, for sure. All right, I'll hit mine uh, similar to everyone else's. I think there really is a need to have you know the streamlining of these marketing deals. There probably is a need, or there definitely is a is a need for the middleman between uh, the brands and the influencers. Uh, and someone's going to do that, whether it's Sprout Social or Isaiah or Facebook and Instagram themselves. 
that's to be said. Uh, low lights, I'm not seeing consistency with the financials, which again, you can have the COVID excuse, but there's been inconsistencies over the last three years, like Ian and you highlighted. Um, and I'm concerned of how reliant they are on social platforms because, yeah, well, okay, right now, the biggest platforms are ones that are influencer-based, Instagram and TikTok, right? At least in the United States. What if in the future, there's platforms that aren't as influencer-based, something like a Discord, you know, something like that, where it would be tougher to do something like this? Um, I don't know if that is going to occur, and it's likely that Instagram and TikTok will be relevant for quite a while. But if we're at the peak of their usage, um, it's something that Isaiah can't control. So they're relying on the growth of the, those other platforms. I don't see influencers ever going away, but I would... It is a concern that some of those social medias could keep it in-house. Like, uh, I don't think it'd be that difficult for Instagram to say, oh, we'll also let you connect with influencers if you're a brand. Like, it seems like that's an avenue they could go, especially if they're seeing a lot of pressure with their other ad their other way of advertising. Mm, um, potentially, yeah. That could be a problem. All right, more or less interested. Ian, you want to go first? Yeah, so I'll go first. I, uh, just for full disclosure, I've started a position over the last couple of weeks in Isaiah. And uh, so I guess I have to say I'm more interested. Um, it's been, it's one I think has a decent amount of upside. Um, but as we've kind of highlighted throughout this this podcast, it's going to re- require a lot of execution. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think it's an intriguing one to watch, if nothing else. Okay, Ryan? Yeah, the, the upside is certainly there. Uh, it might, you're, you're probably going to feel a little less security with this investment. Um, I would say, I don't know. I'm right in the middle, I guess. Uh, the, the last year numbers were kind of concerning, but if I start to see that it's like really lumpy and this shake things ends up being a big success, um, that could be a little more validating. Um, uh, and honestly, the valuation when they're about to launch, a huge product and revenue can change on a dime. It, it, I'd take it with a grain of salt. I mean, 12, obviously you don't want to pay too much, but 12 times enterprise value to sales is terrible for something this small that could grow really fast. Yeah. It's not something like uh, I'm bringing up clubhouse media group because that's just something I was reading about one time, but that was trading at like four or 500 times sales. Cause it was a concept, you know, pre-revenue company, like a lot of the SPACs, at least with this, if they execute, it's not like the valuation will totally inhibit all this growth. I mean, you could definitely see them if they're right. And that is the higher risk with this investment because they do have to at least get it right. They could definitely, you know, 10x their revenue over the next decade or, or even five years. So, yeah, it's a great idea. I mean, execution is the problem here, I guess. And that's a, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. And I guess I'll fall on the slightly less interested as well. I think the big key that diff- that makes me lean one way or the other, because I see, you know, I- I'm not concerned about the, the growth and trailing financials. Um, it happens and it's all about what they're going to do in the future. It seems like the ideas they have are sound, but management kind of tips, dips it in the other direction. I don't like the past history with, with what Murphy has been doing. Um, it's the crypto I mean, stuff. That's what's keeping you out. Well, <laughs> if you're, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a big red flag. I, if management left, if or Murphy left, and I haven't checked out this uh, COO, maybe I like it, but yeah, it's not like it, it seems high risk, high reward, which we all know looking going into the small cap, but 
it seems a little too risky. Uh, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was a billion, $2 billion company in five years. Any, uh, anything okay. else guys? Or? Oh, my, my pick. Oh yeah. Okay. Before we, uh, wrap things up, uh, Ryan, what's your uh, pick for next week's discussion? Next week we are doing Mohawk group. Oh, good uh, one. Good one. Oh, yeah. exciting. I don't know much about them, but I'm seeing a lot of people tweet about them and stuff and people I respect. Uh, I think Ian tweeted about them today too. So, uh, excited to get into them. Okay. That is a good pick. Another smaller, that's sub billion, right? Mark, yeah, but maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Yep. It is sub sub billion. All right. Well, we're going to be planning the small caps for the next two weeks. Um, that's going to do it for the Isaiah Group show. Use our promo code, as always, CCM at checkout to get $10 off your first month at 7investing. Uh, for the full disclosure, remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. And we have the new disclosure. We uh, run Arch Capital, which is a oh, uh, investment fund. So, you know, clients may hold positions in security discussed on this show. We'll formalize that disclosure because uh, I need to actually write down how to say it properly. But that's it. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week.